Welcome to the show. Let's get this thing going. How y'all doing tonight? Hope everybody's enjoying their week so far. We got a real special show here for you tonight. I got not one, but two of the Licorice Brothers here. Jonathan and Robert, how are you guys doing, man? Fantastic. Doing my best. Yeah. <laughs> Maintaining? <laughs> Trying to. Yeah. Keeping the distillery running and doing podcasts and driving all over town. I hear you. Well, we got a very special show for you tonight. As most of you know, you saw my post earlier in the week. We recently went up and hung out with these guys and did a barrel pick for a very good friend of mine, Noel Brabant. I said it right, too. Bam. I'm on a roll tonight. Um, Noel's son, him and Jamie, his wife, do a lot for NF Research, as you guys know. And you guys very graciously jumped at the opportunity to help them raise some money. So... We came up, we did a pick. We're going to have Noel join us here in a little bit. We're going to try and do this. Hope this works for you guys. I'm going to wait till they get the background music turned down in a little bit in here so that we can uh, try and call him on speakerphone, and we'll see if that works. All right. We'll throw it out there because Noel, unfortunately, work would not let him be here, so he's traveling right now. I think he's in New Orleans. But, uh, yeah. Pilots. Yeah, yeah pilots, you know, <laughs> the rough life. Uh, Biz, while you're up there, can you see if we can get this music down a little more? All right, you good. All right. So, you guys very graciously let us come up. We did a barrel pick with you guys. I think it's one of the best barrel picks I did. And as you guys can see, we got a lot of Iron Root stuff here. I'm a big <laughs> fan of Iron Root. I collect their Harbinger and their Tri-Barrels. Oh, yeah. That's definitely the cream of the crop for me. Um, and they donated a huge portion of these bottles to this NF research. And if you guys look at the link I shared, there's also an opportunity, even though these barrels saw what, 15 minutes? Yeah. I was hoping there were going to be a few bottles left for tonight when we got here, but... Uh, but hey, it yeah. happens. Yeah. It happens. It's good barrel. So, yeah. I mean, I'm happy for them. That raised really good money for NF research and supporting Jason, their son, um, which is awesome, man. Yeah. It's so cool that you guys did that. Um, but there is a link you guys can also hit on on that bottle share that I did where even if you want to just donate some money to NF Research or supporting Jamie, she does like Ironmans and runs these huge marathons. I don't know how she does it, but like she's on top of her game. I don't think I could do half of what she does. I, there's, there's no way. <laughs> I, I, would, I would pass out in the warm up. I can guarantee you right now. I mean, come on. Look yeah, at me. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's, there's no way. Um, but, yeah, you guys, maybe, Jonathan, you want to talk a little bit about the barrel we picked that went out for this? Because, I mean, I know some of these people watching, some people may already have the bottle. Some are picking it up this weekend. I'll yeah. see you up there if you're picking up this weekend. But you want to share a little bit about the barrel we picked? Definitely. So um, this is uh, one of my kind of favorite mash bills we've been doing. So it's actually a combination. It's mostly yellow dent. But yeah. then it also has a little bit of flint corn and a little bit of rye in it. So, and then this is giving it some really interesting flavors. Um, and so we're actually laying a lot of this down now because we like this so much to begin with. This is the very first batch of this that you ever did, too. It is. Yeah. It is. And, so, and, and this is a 63-gallon barrel. And we just that magic yeah. barrel out of the ones <laughs> we did. It's got some personality to it. I enjoy it. It's so. got great personality. It's, it, you know, I, we've talked about this a couple times. Uh, I've been chasing cigar blends. I mean, obviously, I'm a big cigar smoker. I really like the cigar blends. And 
Harbinger has always been one of those things that really hits with me with cigars. Like, it pairs really great. Like, I'm not as big of a fan of the Icarus. I'm not going to lie. Like, Icarus <laughs> just does something different for me. Hubris, uh, we can find okay. some bottles there that I really mm-hmm. like. But uh, the cigar blends, I, you know, is where I think it's at for me personally right now. You know, I'm sure you guys experience this, like, palate fatigue and everything <laughs> gotcha. else. Like, as long as I've been trying and drinking all these whiskeys, not only have I gotten a little fatigued on things, my palate has opened up to so much more. Like, I've bought more tequila in the last six months than anything. Mm-hmm. And I used to not be able to drink tequila, but now I love sipping tequila. <laughs> Maybe it was the shooting it in college yeah. years and stuff like that, but you know, nowadays, it we're doesn't a little older, a little more mature. <laughs> yeah, you can drink some cool stuff. So, um, all right, let's try this. Um, Biz, if you wouldn't mind, that radio kicked right back up, so I don't know what they're doing out there. I'm on it, sir. But as soon as we get this going, we're gonna try and give Noel a call here in a second, because I know he wants to say a few things, and like I said, I wasn't. We're, we haven't figured this out in episode six yet of how to bring someone on remotely and have them be a part of the live show. So we're gonna kind of work with what we got here a little bit and see what we can make happen. But let's talk about Iron Root a little bit. I don't want to like. I mean, you guys like we talked about this earlier. Like this is not gonna be your typical like. We're going to smoke some cigars, which I know you guys are interested in, yeah. like trying that out. We're going to drink stuff. I haven't bought a few little surprises. We're going to like throw out there on you guys and see what you guys think of those as well. All right. But uh, as you guys can see, they brought some special stuff here, too, that we're going to talk about and get into as well. But uh, tell, why don't you guys, uh, maybe we'll start with you, Robert. Yeah. Tell them a little bit about you guys' story. Like just, I mean, hit on the high notes. I mean how you came from going to law school to like, I'm going to open up a distillery. I think this is a great idea. Like let's join the jump in the bourbon market. I mean, I was really dumb and young. I think is probably the the moral of that story. (laughs) Um, No, we started, uh, I I mean, officially started, we started distilling about uh, in 2014. Uh, We got the idea originally to distill, uh, back actually, we were at a family reunion in Spokane, Washington, okay. and went to a small distillery because it was in the same uh, shopping center as this Thai food restaurant we went to. And we walked in and we saw the saw the stills. And I know there's always been something in our family like we've loved copper. Like our dad was a copper, you know, refiner essentially since that's when he graduated okay. school for. And so we always like to joke that coppers kind of was in our blood. And we saw it, and we joked around at that point, like, hey, when we retire, that's what we're going to do. My dad's like, no, you definitely need to do that when you retire. Uh, You know, fast forward, I was getting ready to graduate from law school. Decided that that was not the life for me. Uh, I got burnt out of law school really, really fast. Uh, So rather, when I was getting ready to graduate, rather than go into legal work, uh, my brother had been slowly putting words out there that, you know, dad is, you know, keeps mentioning this distillery thing. Maybe you should look into that. And so, uh, you know, usually I'm not really good at taking hints, but that's, uh, I think I, I, <laughs> I took that one and started running with it and right on. Uh, decided at Christmas dinner to inform my mother that and when I graduated in May, I was no longer going to be a lawyer. I was going to go pursue a career in distilling. I bet that was a fun conversation. Your mom's very intense. Like, I love your mom <laughs> to death. But she kind of has that edge, too, that kind of scares me, yeah. too. Oh, she scares everyone. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, she keeps the shop in line. Yeah, that's right. You got to have one of those. Though. Yeah, you, you gotta, definitely got to have one of those. Um, but, yeah, no, it's 
it was like dead silent for a second and she was like I mean I know you guys know how to drink it but do you know how to make it no no we didn't no. Um, and then Jonathan was, I mean you were like hey, hell I'm not going to sit in a cubicle yeah, because you, uh, biomedical engineer, if I remember correctly. Yep, yep. So I did a couple different. You, and you guys both did a lot but... of schooling to decide. Oh wait, this isn't for me. Because like I, I, I can relate to you a little bit yeah. in that. I thought when I first got out of high school that I was, you know, I went the military route that didn't work out, and then I was like, architect or lawyer. But I got a job in an insurance company, and I got to work with a bunch of lawyers. And see the hours they were working and what these guys were doing to try and make partner and stuff. And I was like, after seven years of law school, if you're lucky and you everything goes right, and then spend the next decade plus to try and make partner, I was like, yeah, I don't think I want to go down this road. Like, that does not seem as interesting as it once did. But you jumped into biomedical engineering, which had to be, I assume, pretty much the same lengthy schooling to a certain degree yeah i, I spent even a lot more. of time and, and so i did uh, industrial engineering originally then hopped over to biomedical and actually when robert decided that he didn't want to be a lawyer i was in the middle of a mechanical engineering degree okay so, master's degrees is what he's referring to yeah so yeah yeah yeah, yeah try so to downplay yourself over there way too <laughs> spent way too much time in college yeah so well, I mean, it happens to people that like Texas Tech. I mean, I'm not going to... Oh, I'll throw in one snap, Texas Tech snap, joke here real quick. <laughs> to be fair, one of those years was just a victory lap at Tech. So Yeah, there you go. I like mean, super seniors now. Yeah. So, yeah. I went that route for a second. I mean, I, I, I still remember one of my favorite experiences. I, I had not met you yet. We had been Facebook friends mm-hmm. and chatted back and forth. Uh, over some stained glass. Yeah. I- ironically. Um, but when I showed up, you're, you were fortunately out of town, I believe. Yeah. And the bottling equipment that had been waiting on for like almost a year had finally shown up. And it was wrecked inside of the delivery oh, trucks. Lord, yeah. And I pulled up at this very instant about 30 minutes before your mother showed up. So, I mean, like, I got the good window of Jonathan sitting around scratching his head going, I don't know how we're going to this. And the driver's, like, literally looking at me, and he goes, hey, guys, I mean, I got another delivery to make. Like, I mean, like, I got to unload this, and, like, I, I'm going to – I have to leave in, like, an hour. And we're all in. I'm like, bro, there is no way you are remotely leaving before sunset because, like – getting these pallets of tractor trailer i mean there was really like what two two full tractor trailers loaded with bottling equipment and they had in and the it shipping had all process shifted broken in, through boxes oh and it was unreal and i was like looking at pulleys and stuff i was like what kind of chains do i have in here and you guys are like trying to get lifts and stuff out there like that was insane. And then and then your mom showed up. <laughs> that was the golden moment cuz your brothers over there kind of like holding down maintaining and we're, we're getting stuff going and, like, trying to figure it out. And I'm, I'm throwing out a few suggestions because I'm in construction. And I'm like, maybe if you did this, but I'm not going to put my name behind it because, like, that's going to be a hairy maneuver or someone's really good with a forklift. But, yeah, and your mom showed up. And I thought I felt really sorry for the guys on the other end of that shipping line that had to take that phone call because she was hot. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, she doesn't she she doesn't suffer fools. I will I will say that. Yeah, for sure. So what else did you guys bring today? That you know what? Actually, now that we got it quiet in here, let's do this real quick because I know he wants to do this. He's been waiting. Let's see if we can get no no. I can't see like comments on here. I'm trying to roll up here. I assume you're already on here. We got. Our number one uh, fan on here, Larry Adams, is already jumping on here. Welcome, Larry. Um, all right, I'm going to try calling Noel. We're going to try to put this on speaker and see if we can't do this. Viz, you got the headphones in, so tell me how well you can hear him when he gets up. What's up, Noel? How you doing? Ah, we're good. All right. Yeah, you're here. All right, we're good? All right, well, you're here live with the fellas, man, so... Uh, Microphone is all yours. How you guys doing today? Good, no. How's it going, man? It's good, man. It's good. I wanted to. Uh, I can see you guys on my TV now. I wanted to. <laughs> wanted to publicly thank you guys for everything you guys have done um, for my family and for my son. It's it's really amazing. Well, hey. we're just happy that we could do do something to help out and all. So I, I do want to apologize to you today. I do have a bottle from that pick here. I didn't bring one with all the fancy wax because that bottle is beautiful. Yeah, the I know. wax and the oh sticker there, man. Yeah, it is fantastic. Patrick Giano, that, that dude does some amazing artwork, which is funny. Yeah, he's uh, he's pretty impressive. It was uh, it was really an honor too to ask him to uh, if he would if he would you know do a photo for us like that. I know he's comes in high demand and does a lot of artwork all around different cities, a lot down in Frisco, down at the rail district, and. Uh, I was really honored when he said he would do that for us. It was really, really a cool thing to work with him on. Yeah, and the funny story is when Noel and I got to talking about it, he's one of the guys I was telling you about the commission art piece I'm looking at doing for my bar at home. And uh, he's one of the guys I'd been considering. He's from an area where I used to live in Connecticut. And when Noel said his name, I was like, you're kidding me. Like, how do you know him? Like, how do you get him to do this? So, like, cool story. But, you know, I wanted to make sure Noel got a chance to come on here. You know, you guys uh, – for some of you that know, watch some of the earlier episodes. I told a story about a little boy that like is like one of the most respectful little kids you've ever met in your life, and I didn't name names, I didn't do anything, but I was talking about Jason uh, when I told the door opening story. So for any <laughs> other were wondering, that is who I was talking about, and you know, Noel and Jamie are two amazing people, and. Jason, it to me is one of like the sweetest ten-year-old kids you'll ever meet. He's genuinely got a heart of gold, and you know to be able to be a part. You know, I was truly honored when Noel reached out to me and said, "Hey, you want to come up to Iron Root and do a pick with us?" And I was like, "Absolutely! How can we promote this more? How can we get more stuff out there to help him with the NF and everything that him and Jamie are doing to raise awareness?" So, again, I also want to thank you guys for, A, coming and being on the podcast, B, letting me be a part of this pick and helping with this cause. But I know it means a lot to Noel, too, and he really wished he could be here. We could have pushed this back some more. Scheduling just didn't work out for that. But wanted to make sure he had a chance to jump on here with you guys. I think he just really didn't want to have to actually be here live because he didn't want to be on camera for two hours. I know, he looks better than we do. So. I know, he's, he's all like fit and buff. You know, those, those Top Gun pilots. Yeah, you know. geez. <laughs> yeah, hardly. I'm sitting in a hotel room in New Orleans right now. Real uh, luxurious, let me tell you. But we're nowhere near anywhere good. We're sitting right at the airport here, and I can see the runway out the window. So it's uh, But you know what? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad to be able to patch in here. I got to... Also, I want to thank everyone who bought a bottle. That was huge. It went fast, and um, 
uh, I'm, Jamie and I and the whole family were deeply humbled by that. I was just shocked at the the the, uh, the FOMO over that. And uh, we had a tough act to follow up on the first one we did a couple of years ago. And I, I actually think we, we beat it with this one, believe it or not. Yeah, I mean, it sold out in like 15 minutes. Like, I mean, as soon as I was making the post, I was receiving the letter back. As soon as my post actually went live on the channels, I was literally getting the return text from you and the email from Ironry going, well, it's gone, fellas. Like, 200 and, what, 20 bottles, roughly, gone in 15 minutes? 217, yeah. Yeah, 217 bottles gone in 15 minutes, y'all. Like, that's amazing, and and I, I want it to be known. I mean, I'm sure these guys wouldn't say this, but, I mean, I've seen some of this stuff happen before, and it's like people just they they want their name on it and they want to donate no these guys really donated like pretty much 50% of the bottle sell went back to this cause like this isn't like just some scheme or like some little gimmick of here of like oh $5 a bottle is going here like i'm going to say like 30 plus dollars is going for every bottle so i mean you guys do the math like these guys really stepped up and i know Noel and his family are really grateful for this I'm grateful you guys did this, and I think it's for a great cause. So, uh, kudos to you guys, man, jumping on here with this. I mean, that's uh, it was one of the things when we were talking about how how to release the bottle and what was kind of the best way to get it out to people, and that's why we decided to do it directly from the distillery because we knew if we did that, we could get raise the most amount of money for charity, and that yeah. was really, I mean, obviously that's what the goal was for it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Noel, you got anything else you want to jump on here and say real quick? No, I just, uh, you know, got to recognize the fact that my wife is the uh, is, is a rock star with these marathons and stuff. So, I mean, this is uh, these, these, these triathlons, these half Ironmans, and she does it all to raise awareness for Jason. And it's um, the, the least thing I could do is, you know, try to put together something small to, you know, raise a little bit more awareness. But she's really, really, uh, it's impressive to sit back and watch that because I'm not in shape to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, you guys, it really is. I mean, Jamie runs, like, the New York, the Boston, these Ironmans. I mean, she she does some incredible stuff to raise awareness, and, I mean, she's training constantly for this stuff. So, I mean, everybody needs to take their hats off to Jamie on this for sure because she's the main one, you know, putting in the actual legwork, you know. In, in reality, what little bit we did is kind of minuscule yeah. to what Jamie does on a – daily basis for this but just so you guys know too before i hop off here with noel noel send me the link again or if you want to post it in the comments please post it on either the youtube or the facebook um you guys just because this bottle is sold out it does not mean y'all still can't help with this cause 100 there are links on there for jamie's team to help with some of the costs with her training entering all these marathons travel all this stuff and then there's a direct link to the NF, mm-hmm. uh, NF side as well to uh, help raise awareness and money. So uh, I encourage any of y'all that can. I mean, no amount is too small or too big. Like, you know, if you guys got, I don't know, $5, I mean, jump on there and, yeah, uh, and throw it out there, man. It, it goes to a great cause, and it's greatly, greatly appreciated, and it's going to a great cause. So I just want to put this out there, though, that we don't keep, like, that money, any, anything that gets donated, we, we cover our own travel costs. We cover our own training costs. That link goes directly to Children's Tumor Foundation just in Jason's name. 
So it um it doesn't we don't do anything else with that money. I don't want people to think, oh yeah, they they donated this money. Yeah. We want a trip now. It's uh no anything that's donated and all the bottle donations will go directly to Children's Tumor Foundation, directly to research and raise awareness for NF. There you guys have it. I mean, I may have said that a little wrong. I'm glad you clarified that. <laughs> no, I, I will say, though, my wife was slightly disappointed with uh, th- what we did this year compared to the very first one because she really wanted me to uh, to do the undie run this year. That's, she was get, really getting her hopes up for that, so I had to let her down. I, I, you know, I, uh, we tried to move the undie run this year from uh, down in Deep Elm to a little bit closer up to the Frisco area, and we just... It's tough when you call some of these local businesses in these uh, more affluent areas and say, hey, we want to run around in our underwear after being in a bar for two hours, just for, for one hour, and then, or for one mile, then we're going to run back to the bar. And you try to explain it to them, and it doesn't paint a good picture. And then when you show them <laughs> images, it's still the same picture. You just painted a bunch of people in their underwear, and you don't have to run. But to be honest with you, Dallas actually canceled the undie run this year just from lack of interest. So no. we're going to try to come up with something in the next uh, next year that can maybe uh, uh, raise more awareness, some more fun. Uh, we're, we're in talks with my dad and I are talking about trying to do a golf trip or something like that. We'll see if it happens. Yeah, That sounds good. Well, if we can help anyways, man, you know how to reach out to us. We'd be happy to support that, put that out there. And, uh, man, congrats on this, man. I know this is a big step for you guys. And, uh, Hope this uh, helped tremendously in you guys' uh, battle with NF. Hey, I appreciate you guys. You guys have a good show. All right, All right. man. Take care, Noel. Safe flying, man. <clears throat> cool. Thank you guys for letting me do that. Like, no I know that was a big deal to get Noel on here. He really wanted to have a few words with you guys since you guys <laughs> are in town and stuff. And thank you guys himself since he couldn't be here. Yeah, let's get those cigars fired up. I know you guys are uh, new to the cigar game, so for all those wondering, uh, both Robert and Jonathan are uh, a little nicotine sensitive, from what I was told. So uh, we're pansies, yeah. <laughs> I, we're not calling by pansies here, you know. Um, but with that in mind tonight. Here, go with this one. That one's a little bit easier to rock with. Just don't light your eyebrows on fire. Um, there we go. So what, we, what I went with, with for both of them is the, uh, the shorter Alfonso's. I believe those are the number ones. Um, to me, that is the best cigar in the lounge. Those just came in recently. They won't last much longer. They were a super limited release. Same guy that makes Atabay and Byron Nelson and all that stuff. So... Um, they are really phenomenal cigars, and they should be very mellow, and they're aged well, so, like, the nicotine straight up shouldn't be, like, just kicking your all's ass. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. You know? <laughs> so, um, what do y'all suggest we start off with here drinking? Like, I, I mean, I've already... So, I brought one bottle tonight of the Groot, which is one of my favorites. It's a Harbinger. It's a pick uh, from one of the clubs. I don't even remember which club at this point uh, in time. Bourbon Bros. Bourbon Bros, yeah. I think it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a great bottle. I got a couple of these. This is the last one, so I wanted to bring that up here. Um, but uh, maybe, Jonathan, you want to talk about a couple of these that you've set out here. Tell us people about some of the things you guys have coming up because sure. you got a lot of cool projects. I'm not going to lie, this one here in the middle, I am really excited about. I got to try it with you guys when I was up at the mm-hmm. distillery. And as I said, I've been chasing these cigar blends, and what you have going right there would make Alan Bishop jealous. Oh, excellent. (laughs) 
Yeah, so, of course, we got the J, JWB barrel that we got for, for NF right there. So we'll, we'll probably dip into that in a second. But, yeah, y'all, uh, th this is the bottle, like you said earlier. It's not all wax and stickered. So if any of y'all got this, um, you'll know this is going to have a really cool sticker of Jamie running through New York, I think it is, on the sticker yep. um, that Patrick Giano did. It's a really amazing, cool sticker, kind of a Batman comic book-ish. It's really, really cool. And then it's blue and green wax, which mm -hmm. I believe is the colors for uh, the NF. Mm -hmm. um, so, y'all, if you got one of those, I'd hold on to it. But uh, they're going to go fast because uh, that's some really good bourbon we happen to pick there. I, I didn't bring one of those with the wax on there because I'd be stealing somebody's bottle. It was already sold at oh, that point. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we've got that guy. And then uh, we also brought some of our Icarus. We know that's not your favorite. Some people do like it with cigars. Hey, I'll try it again. I, I've tried it twice. It just it was one of those things that hit my palate kind of hard early on. But again, my palate's been changing. So I mean, are you a Pete fan at all? I'm not a Pete yeah, fan. That's really why you're not a Pete fan. This is a corn whiskey that's finished I'm in both super, pork and Pete. So. What I've learned is I'm not a peated fan, but I'm a super peated fan. So ah. like my dad kind of ruined scotch for me as a kid. Man, I don't think I've told this story on here, but I, I guess I will. So my dad liked to drink. <laughs> Probably a little more than I realized when I was a kid. My dad's relaxation was coming home, and we had one of these old-school quick-trip mugs. Mm -hmm. I think they're about 32 ounces, insulated mug. He'd fill it with ice, half scotch, half water. And it wasn't always the best scotch. But as a kid, when you woke up in the morning, dad would have one or two of those a night. Well... In between, he'd fill it up with water and, you know, chug some water. Well, if he finished the night and that water was in there as a little kid waiting in the morning, you'd go downstairs and you, you know, dry mouth in the morning. You've got to insulate a mug and get fresh water. Oh, no. Perfect. <laughs> but if he poured that second one and didn't finish it, you got cheap, shitty scotch. Watered diluted, down. Watered down that's been sitting out all night. And I can't tell you how many times I made that mistake. And even times when I thought, oh, I smelled it. Oh, no, there's nothing in here. This is water. Ah, no, I was still wrong. Multiple times, so I just quit doing that. But both of my brothers, my younger brother and my older brother, actually like scotch. I've learned now that I do like some scotches. It is non-peated scotches. But then Alex Baptista went on a mission to prove me wrong with that as well. And I also learned that I can do the super, super peateds, like the Octomores. There you go. Now, that, I will say, comes with a caveat because I could still taste that, like, two days later, even after brushing my teeth multiple times because that just absolutely coats the entire palate. Mm -hmm. And yep. you literally feel like you stuck your head in a barbecue smoker and just sat in there for a while. Yeah. Yeah, Pete will do that to you. It, yeah. it sticks around. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, so, so Icarus, we've learned, is peated. That's it's, probably why that's, that's, why that's the one like I don't care for as much. <laughs> what else you got up there? We've got a couple other special releases coming up. So I've got one that's coming out in November, and this is actually a brandy. And so this is going to be a combination of cognac brandy, so stuff we imported okay. from France, and then some of our own brandy that we distilled a long time ago. So what we're going to do is we actually did a blend of this 
um, we're going to call anything that comes out that's kind of a mix of our product and something, something else uh, that we brought in is going to be known as sleight of hand. And so the inaugural release of this we're doing for Denison, the town where we, we're from. Yep. It's its 150th anniversary this year, and it, we are sister cities with Cognac, France. And that has a lot to do with a long story about grapes yep. and disease and, and TV and months, TV and, months and, and that's why we're called Iron Root. But so sleight of hand is a commemorative blend. Uh, we call it the Sister Cities Blend. So for that 150th anniversary this year. Awesome. Uh, I'll have to try that later on. I, now I'm wishing I brought another bottle from home. I'll have to have you guys out to the house because Alan sent me what he said was one of the best apple brandies he's ever made Ooh. from his, I think, grandfather or great-grandfather's recipe that he'd been working on. And he felt like this was like, he even gave me a, a recipe for making some special drink in the holidays with it. And I'm I'm dying to try it. I've been sitting on it for about three years because I hadn't found, I guess I have to go to a farmer's market or something. I need unfermented apple cider oh. to, and a cinnamon Just stick. Fresh and I pressed forget. apple cider. Yeah. Ooh, wow. yeah, like fresh pressed apple cider. So it, yeah. that should be really amazing. You don't get that a lot down here. <laughs> no, no, it's a lot harder to find, you know, like, um, let's talk about this a little bit. Like, so... I'm not going to say any names. I don't like a lot of Texas whiskey. Mm-hmm. There's some I like that I think their price point's too high. They're, your guys is one that I feel like it pushes the price point a little bit. I, you guys have gotten that price point a lot better in the last couple of years, which I mean, you guys are now, what, seven years mm-hmm. distilling now. So you guys have gotten that down there. Like I feel like you guys have a really good price point on your bourbons, and it's really good. There's a couple others, like, I just can't, I can't do it. There is a taste, like, a very, and Jonathan, maybe this is the question for you. How do you deal with that, or is there something you're doing in your distilling techniques, or is it the barrel aging? What are you doing to kind of, to fight that? Because I can't tell you what that taste is, and I know you and I talked about it a little bit when we were up there doing the pick, but there is a very, very solid, like, almost minerally, taste i get out of several brands one in particular in texas but it's like i i I can't get past it and every everything they they put out has that taste in it i've tasted it in y'all's once or twice but not very often what what do you think that is and what do you guys do to to work around that because texas is a challenge to distill in yeah, I, I think it's kind of on multiple fronts. So I, I think um, part of it, I think, it is a yeast selection and what you're going to kind of uh, put into it to begin with. So we use uh, some of our favorite yeasts are a little bit higher ester, so okay. they're a little bit fruitier um, and not quite as clean fermenting. And so there tends to be a lot more flavor coming from the yeast when we're doing that. Um, but then also when we start talking about the barrels and how we treat the barrels, we approach things a lot more uh, like you would see in France. So we're not quite as aggressive with the aging. So I, I know in other parts of Texas, a lot of the warehouses are getting, you know, 140 degrees, um, which is pretty extreme uh, aging conditions. Yeah. Um, so what, what we have up, up Which in you would Denison, consider like rapid aging basically pretty much, right? Yeah, I mean, there's there's kind of the artificial rapid aging. Yeah, but there, when you get it up there that much of a temperature swing, like that's got to play a big role. Oh yes, definitely. Um, and just just the way that the the spirits can interact with the wood is going to be a little bit different at that point in time. Yeah. 
Um, I think the hottest I've seen our warehouse, even in the summer, on the ground level at least, has been 98 degrees. Right. And so... Uh, so our warehouse is actually cooler than most of the ones in Kentucky, ironically, during the yeah. summer. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy to think about. That's real crazy. It's been, we had, what, like 60-something days over 100 mm-hmm. degrees this summer. Warehouse never got over 98 degrees this summer. It's awesome. Have you guys ever considered, like, a putting in a basement as, like, taboo <laughs> as that is in Texas? Like, you can still do I mean, most people in Texas, for those of you from up north or anything, because I, I grew up up north for a while, you have basements like you have pools in Texas. Mm-hmm. People don't build the basements because of, A, the cost, and, B, they'd rather have a pool. They don't really need a basement like you do up north. So, traditionally, and I, I've heard rumors between distillers at times talking about, like, and I, I was like, that might be a really great idea. Build a basement type bunker for your barrels. Yeah, that would work. It would slow it down a lot. So a lot yeah. of the distillers who are used to, you know, the three-year age statements, four-year age statements, it would put them uh, a lot longer age stated uh, statement to get to where they're at currently. Um, I was gonna say, I think it was Treaty Oak who actually did an experiment where they literally buried some barrels. They did to and age them. Si- like they had some in their normal warehouse. And some that they literally buried in the ground just to see what the difference would be. It, oh wow! And it did what you thought it would. Massive difference. <laughs> yeah. So you have to try some of these. Yeah, I yeah. definitely tried it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's what was the key notes that you got from like the barrels that were in the ground? Uh, so the in the ground, obviously, you have way more constant temperature, so there's mm-hmm. less shifting in and out of the oaks. When you looked at the spirit, obviously, it was much lighter. It, I mean, it was aging kind of like it was in Scotland. It was very slow slow and steady maturation um so it, you know you're talking two three years old it hadn't done a bunch of stuff yet it was still fairly light um you still got some of your kind of your ester stuff going on but when you also when you bury it you're impacting how much oxygen you have being able to go into the barrel because obviously the barrel's surrounded by dirt essentially yeah so that also helps maintain humidity a little mm-hmm. bit yeah and i think that's also another factor that we have in our warehouse uh, we have a lot more we're a lot more humid up in Denison than a lot of Texas. Yeah. And I think that that arid aging um, does different things to the barrel, the way it interacts, what it's pulling out. Yeah, because you get the seasons in Kentucky like that and stuff. I mean, you get that, you get those humid summers Mm -hmm. and you get the drier winters, but then you get snowstorms and stuff like that too that really, you know, add character. It pulls from these barrels in different ways. I think you also see the pot still, I think is a huge impact too overall. I mean, when people are talking, they're usually used to Kentucky, Tennessee whiskeys. There's very few, or in fact, I don't know any major distillery that does 100% pot still distillate in, in the U.S., any of the large guys. Um, and so when you're looking at the difference between pot still and calm still spirits is drastic. Um, yeah. Um, as far as, again, the ester profile you're looking at, how, how, it, how it plays around with the grain that you're... You get a lot more grain influence from from pot still. Um, I mean, it's why Alan uh, his big uh, his big um, motto for their distilleries respect the grain, and that's because when you use pot stills and you play with pot stills so much, it really is it, you are going to be focusing a lot more on grain flavors, which I think historically people have associated more with young spirit. That isn't necessarily the case when it comes to pot still products. They're, yeah. You can still have grain characteristics. They can, they're mature grain characteristics when you age them up and you do stuff, but it's very different than what you're going to see coming out of Kentucky or Tennessee. Yeah, and I mean, you know what? That's, uh, you guys probably don't know this about me. I've said it on here a couple of times, and a lot of my friends know this. So 
when I got into the bourbon game, like I was always like, you know, growing up crown drinker, you know, I was, I was crown guy. You know, so that's what my grandfather drank, you mm-hmm. know, that's why I would go see my grandfather. He'd have a crown royal bag filled with change and I'd go buy baseball cards and all that stuff. So crown was kind of instilled in me. But as I progressed down that road, once I really got into bourbon and started collecting bourbon, I got into the craft distilling. And that's where I fell in love because I was like, I, I mean, yes, yes, I have some of those bottles that, you know, everybody, you know, scours the earth for this allocated stuff. And I'm not knocking those. There are some of those that are absolutely phenomenal. There's a reason they've been around a long time. But to me, I enjoyed it almost like finding a new band. You know, like if you go find a new band and you can introduce your friends to this band and be like, check this out. Nobody really knows about this yet. You know, like these guys are going to be blowing up. I kind of treated whiskey and bourbon the same way. Like I went and sought craft distillers that were not just selling a story of, I found my grandfather's, you know, my great, great grandfather's secret recipe (laughs) book. And I found this one kernel of corn and planted a new variety. And, you know, no one's ever going to have a bottle that tastes like this, but somebody that was doing something unique, pushing the boundaries a little bit, and I, I contribute a lot of that to meeting Alan very early on in my mm-hmm. bourbon journey. You know, like sitting and talking with Alan, it was in Deggy World. I got a free <laughs> pass to Deggy World. <laughs> and I'm like a Fred Minix thing. And I'm like walking through this virtual world in my avatar. My wife's looking at me like I'm on drugs. You know, it's mm-hmm. COVID time. I'm like over here on my laptop playing around. And like I walk by this character, which I mean, can you all even imagine what Alan Bishop's avatar looked like? I mean, I cannot. It was pretty spot on, man. Like oh, if they don't let him go full WWE, he would have done it. But like, <laughs> I mean, it was straight up like Alan Bishop. And like, I just started talking to him and man, we talked so long. He was supposed to be on the like symposium thing with him. And he's like, I got to go, man. I'm, a, I'm five minutes late to being on the symposium. And like, that's where our <laughs> friendship began. But and it actually started with me telling him, like, we, I got into a debate with another uh, guy very well known in the bourbon industry about what happens once you open up a bottle. Because, like, I've had bottles of everything. Just pick one. Yeah. We'll go with Harbinger. I've had a bottle of Harbinger. First pour out of the barrel or out of the bottle. Didn't really care for it. and was kind of like, man, is that what I ate today? Is that how I'm feeling mm-hmm. today? Because... I'm moody with my alcohol just like I am music. And I was like, what, what, what's going on here? And then set the bottle aside, go back to it a week or two later, and it changes. And there's guys that have done like all kinds of research saying that nothing happens. Well, I'm kind of calling bullshit because you open the bottle, there's stuff in there to preserve it and to keep the bottle sealed, and then you open it up, and then it kind of releases in it it, it could be harsh on that first pour, and I personally found, and Alan kind of agreed with me, and this other person was like, no, no, scientifically nothing happens, and I'm like... I'm going to go on record right now, and uh, again, anyone who disagrees with this can come talk to, to me afterwards, and we can have a scientific discussion of it. They do change, and... They have to. And the people who have been doing their research on it, one, they're looking basically exclusively at column still distillate and chill filtered spirit, Okay. And You're that, pretty young. Yeah, and so they're, what they're doing is they're removing 
a lot of the volatile compounds when you when you're looking at calm soul spirit and chill filtration and so the tests that they're doing with one is like we're going to see the least reactivity the least yeah. change when you start playing with pot still spirit stuff with a lot of oils in it esterification and transesterification again getting to all the stuff that occurs it's swapping of the products in there it doesn't you don't need anything else for it to start swapping and doing the things it's going to do other than the presence of oxygen i mean and so i mean i could get into a lot of really fun science again i had a i had a lot of fun with alan at the in st louis going to some of the um the yeast the yeast presentations and stuff like that talking about what's actually occurring and how what chemical reactions are coming there are things that occur in the bottle especially with pot still spirit so there are types of whiskey that are going to be less reactive and some that are more but they do change over time and anyone tells you differently is wrong i agree a thousand percent so that that that's like (laughs) what started alan and i's conversation and we've gone same thing you know like we've gone round and round about this and like just me trying to understand more because alan is a plethora of knowledge when it comes to this stuff and like and that's actually what turned me on to you guys early on too from talking to him and bradley over at liquor king uh that dude has one of the best palettes in the area uh he's just he's amazing what he does um but that's kind of how i got onto that too and like talking about you know that's another great subject is the heritage grains and the heritage stuff you guys are working to bring back and that you guys are planting in and around the distillery and bringing back like what's your take on that like and how do you how do you feel about that i know i know alan is very passionate about this stuff and that's actually what i'm really hoping for down the road i'm gonna drop this right now i want to see an iron root and alan bishop (laughs) combination on something because between the two of you three of you I feel like that could be something like just of epic proportions of like something really coming together. I don't know what it would be. I don't know what that would look like, feel like, taste like, smell like, but like that would be something really cool. We almost we almost got one together last year, but we just didn't have enough barrels uh, to do to to do the collab last year. So there's probably something down the pipeline. I imagine. I've been trying to get him down here for years now. You and me both. I've told him, I've got a bedroom for you with your name on it. I'll keep you hammered the entire time you're here. You do have to jump on the podcast and do it with me because I can't figure out this, even though I've talked to him for, like, hours trying to figure out how to, like, get them on there because they all do theirs remote. Like, him and Christy, they call in. Yeah, they do that stuff, but, like, to go live, I could do it, and we could broadcast this after the fact, but there's a certain percentage of our guests they like watching this live. Mm-hmm. I mean, it goes out. I mean, it's live on YouTube and Facebook, but it goes out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify after the fact. So we could do that eventually if we really had to. But like, nah, I'm going to keep pulling and twisting, trying to get out actually in Texas because I think that would be epically good. He needs to get his butt down here. Right? He's been selling <laughs> bottles down for a long time. And I know he doesn't like to travel. I know he doesn't like doing the famous people tour and come down and visit and all stuff but like he need, he needs to do that i think we need to get him out of indiana yeah, maybe if jonathan offered to swamp wrestle him if he didn't mm-hmm. come down because he's always trying to get somebody to swamp wrestle him up there i'm not i don't even know what that means 
They have a swamp outside the back of French Lick. And they just wrestle. And I mean, like, it literally looks like the lagoon of yeah. death. How do you no, think Larry got so strong? Everybody's, I don't think anybody's ever actually been in it, but it's like a running joke up there of, like, somebody's going to swamp wrestle up there. Okay. I feel like maybe we make that happen. Maybe we uh, get Alan down to, like, Swamp wrestle in Texas or something. I'm sure we could get some kind of roll around in Texoma. Yeah, get him up to Texoma or something. Do something funny there. I feel like we can make that happen. What's your take on that though? Like we get back to that. Like I mean, the heritage corns and grains and stuff like that. Because I know you guys use a lot of that as well. I think there's a lot of untapped flavor um, that we just haven't really been paying attention to. So in, in the past, it's always kind of been. And I, we, when we were first starting, we, there was some some uh, big people in the industry that were saying that corn plays no part in the flavor of a bourbon. Yeah. Um, They've never had bloody butcher corn, first and first, foremost. So, which, I mean, there's an but argument for... But they were for, column stilling everything. Yeah, yeah. and it, commodity grains, and it's, it's hard to kind of track what's going on. But basically, a lot of the grain that's out there, like if you're going to be making tortilla chips or something out of that corn, they don't really want a whole lot of flavor in it, typically. So Yeah, they're trying to put out something very standard mm-hmm. that we can consistently do every time with not a lot of variation. Yeah, the flavor's in the salsa, right? <laughs> the yeah. Chip, right? Right. So. That's something that amazes me, too, with what you guys do. I mean, because, like, to blend something consistently, like Harbinger, it has a very distinct taste. But as we all know, you can go pull 10 barrels of Harbinger, and not a single one of those is going to taste the same. And none of them taste like the regular Harbinger release. No, but like when you, but you guys have found what you put out is the regular Harbinger release, and to blend to that out of those barrels is something that still this day amazes me. Like I can, I can taste things. I've wrecked my nose. I've broke my nose like at least three times. Had two rhinoplasties. Mm-hmm. My smell is not great, even pre-COVID. I can, but if I can smell something, I smell it very strongly. It's either not there. Or, or like it's super. all there. But my palate is a lot different. You know, like, it, 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 it has a lot more variation in it. Where I've, and I've learned to adapt to that. But I cannot be like a Nancy the Nose. Like, I, I can't, can't do that stuff. I always had a lot of sinus issues kind of yeah. growing up. And so one of, one of the tricks that I like to do is you'll see a lot of, a lot of people who are, that do a lot of nosing will just sit there and nose something for, like, 15 minutes. I'll actually nose it for a little bit, put a little bit on my palate, and then go back to nosing so I can use the kind of a, the, there's a, a back pathway up in your nasal cavity. And so you can actually, you kind of, a, through a retro process, be able to actually taste Like retrohaling? Smell. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, and you can, so you're able to smell a lot more. So a lot of times you'll see if I'm actually nosing something, I'll just put a little bit on my palate just so I, to help myself out. It's kind of. That's something cool you guys can do with cigars too. I know you guys aren't big cigar smokers and you have, uh, so you can actually, this some pops here taught me to be able to get more flavors out of cigars because, you know, you don't fully inhale it. But if you push the last, like, 15% out your nasal cavity. I tried to fail miserably. You'll, 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 <laughs> you'll taste a lot more of it. And it's like, it's something I've learned to do with cigars. That like, because a lot of times cigars scar, but like. Then you smoke a really good cigar and you get some more of that and it's not the burn it's not hot um same thing with bourbon um that's kind of where i ended up here you know there's a lot of people like i'm relatively new to the cigar game in the last three or four years short of having one on vacation but i knew a lot about bourbon so i helped support their bourbon clubs and mm-hmm. helping do stuff with bourbon up here 
and shared that knowledge in exchange for cigar knowledge. So, there you go. Yeah. Well, what's something? Uh, what's something you guys like? Let's see here. Like, what's something you guys like? Through it, that threw you into left field. Like, something you thought you knew about spirits, but like once you really got into it, you're like, man, I didn't have a clue. Actually, it's this. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure a there's a lot, lot of it, but what's, what, what's, what's something that really stands out? I mean, when we first got into it, and even when we first started the distillery, we were under the impression that some of the people we'd learned from was you just basically put stuff in the barrel, and then you stick it in the back, and then when it turns a certain age, you get it out, and it's ready. And it doesn't matter. It's all going to taste the same kind of was the concept behind it. And so we'd had stuff in barrel for, I don't know, a month. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, we um, Nancy started telling us a little bit more about maturation and we were we were at that point we were like oh we need to learn a lot really fast Mm -hmm. and so that's when we kind of delve into to the maturation side a lot more um and because going into it we we were all about the distillation side and so we doing all this studying there and we were definitely at a deficit at the beginning now i think we've got a much better handle on what we're doing mm-hmm. um but i think on still on the maturation side was understanding that when we started the the industry in texas was so young that we didn't have a basis of knowledge for how to treat it and so a lot of people early on were just kind of using small barrels and using the heat and just kind of ripping through it and we're like well, that sounds like the best plan from a business standpoint right you get liquid out faster um and it, we've, we've actually figured out that it's better to go the opposite way so earlier on i said that that, that uh, the jwb pick there is it, it's, it's in the so good by the way you guys like i'm i am reliving this pick moment like mm-hmm. i'm telling y'all any of you that got this bottle you got a treat like this is a really really good bottle it's in a 63 gallon barrel as opposed to your typical 55 you see in kentucky or 53, sorry. And so, and the reason why we went with the 63 gallon is because Texas, um, really, it, we can get it to age longer in Texas. We can get more of that maturation to happen. That's all the oxygen dependent chemical reactions by keeping it in barrel a little bit longer. Um, and so, we actually kind of use some more kind of traditional European techniques in, in, as far as using larger cooperage to try and mitigate the Texas environment. And so, and it took us a while to actually learn that and make that switch. So. What What were some of the things you guys did to help? You said you had to like jump down like the warp hole, basically, to like get warp speed and like kind of catch up here because you guys. And I mean, like, y'all are no joke. I mean, like, I mean, most of these people, I feel like, no. But in case you don't like. I think it's, I'm going to say at least 2019 all the way through 2022, USA Today rated you guys like the number one craft distillery. And you guys have won numerous other awards. So even though you guys are sitting here and saying this like for our guests and stuff here, like you guys are saying like we're still figuring this out. We still have a lot to learn, which I admire. And I think that's awesome that you guys have that mentality. But what are some of the things you guys did knowing that because I think that's one of the great lessons here because if you realize you're at a disadvantage or you feel like there's something else you need to learn or that you could tweak, what what was it you guys put into your plan of action that helped you start doing those things? I think it was part of it was talking with with the masters, honestly. It was 
it was talking more with Hubert. It was talking, like going over to France, talking to some of the cognac distillers, and yep. really, you know, understanding a lot about, you know, even just other types of spirits. Not even necessarily talking to the bourbon guys. It, for us, I think that was probably more important. I mean, because the style of distillation that we do with the pot still going and talking, going and trying to replicate Kentucky style whiskey, you weren't really, you weren't going to achieve. Hmm? Oh, he's good. Nope. Biz, feel oh, free to help yourself down Make here sure too. Water oh, no, no, we're good. We're good. Um, <laughs> they got their box of water down by their feet. I got, I got them covered, Biz. I grabbed some of the Todd stuff here. Yeah. Uh, it was, I mean, he was talking to some of the people, some other types of distillers that are were masters of the craft, and learning about what they were looking for, and why they were looking for things, and how they were achieving different flavors, and how could you increase fruit profile? How could you get chocolate? How could and looking at where flavor comes from, and then really trying to kind of break down our process to move our whiskey more in the direction that we wanted it to go. And I think... I think we had to take that knowledge. Mm-hmm. We had to learn that first. Right. And then we had to figure out how to apply it to what we were doing in Texas because you can't just apply what happens in France and expect to get the same results they get. Yeah. yeah. So it's not the same environment. It's We're not using the same cooperage. We're not using a lot of the right. same stuff that they are. So... Um, kind of taking that knowledge, adapting it to our own environment. Like a, a lot of people like to use a char-free barrel. What we found empir- empirically early on was that we put some stuff in char-3, char-4. We put some stuff in char-1. And what we figured out was that with the pot still distillate, that heavy char, it acts like a big filter. It was taking out some of the grain character. Some of, We were putting those heirloom grains in there and all these great flavors. And then we put them in a char-4 barrel and ripped it right out. <laughs> And it was yeah. one of these things where it dawned on us. We're like, maybe we should do that. Kind of like chill filtering almost. Like, you know, like you were pulling out oils and stuff that you didn't necessarily want out. And you, you know, we're learning blindly that like, hey, this is coming out of the barrel. Because of the intense Texas environment. I mean, if you're up north where it's cooler, char, higher char makes more sense because you're looking for um, some level of filtration. Right. But when you have that whiskey ripping in and out of the wood... You want to, for us, we wanted to dial it back to maintain some of those other characteristics yeah. that we were losing. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So I just threw two bottles on the table, y'all. So what I did was I wanted to throw a few things that were craft distillery to me that I thought these guys would appreciate and would start other great conversation too, which one of them is Frey Ranch Rye. Um, it's age six years. Like these guys like grow all this. I mean, everything from start to finish is done on their ranch, mm-hmm. which is something I think is really cool. It's starting to get more popular, be more available across the U.S., um, so I brought that. Mm-hmm. The other one, which I'd be really interested to hear you guys take on, so Todd Leopold, watching Alan's podcast and stuff, was like, I think he's one of the most interesting people in the world. Like, I've got to meet this Todd? guy at some point. Hey, Todd's brilliant. Todd, Todd is brilliant. Yeah. yeah. I would see Todd and, and Alan in the same room and just... Just, just be a fly on the wall. And yeah, listen to him. I, I, I have the same goal. Like, I literally want to be in the same room with, like, you guys, Todd, and Alan. I think that would be like the most epic discussion about bourbon and whiskey ever, and other spirits for that matter. Because one of the things I've learned going through my journey of learning more about spirits is, man. There's not a lot of, I mean, there is a lot of difference when you really get into the minutia, 
but all spirits can be relatively made the same. And it's kind of like the finishing touches and like what grain you use and these different things and these mash bills, but like they're not so different. Like, I mean, I, I get in this argument with my brother-in-law all the time. Like, you guys will probably find this funny. Like, and he's going to hate that I'm saying this on here, but he'll go buy vodka at times. And it's like, I'm not saying there's not a difference between like drinking Tito's vodka and McCormick's vodka. McCormick's to me is, is horrible. But like, you know, Tito's vodka, $40 bottle, let's just say. Mm-hmm. And it's very good. But I don't know a lot of people that drink vodka straight, unless you're Russian or just some kind of hardcore <laughs> dude you trying to put a hair on your yeah, chest, yeah. as my grandfather would say. Most people don't drink vodka straight. They're putting it in something. They're making some kind of cocktail out of it. But to me, what I always found funny and why I make fun of my brother-in-law every now and then is, by definition, vodka is a clear, tasteless, and odorless spirit. Like, you're maxing out whatever still you're using, Mm -hmm. and you can literally throw about anything in there, and you can make vodka. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people do, especially early on, to, like, get by as a distiller because it's... It's quick, it's easy, you can throw it out there on the market real fast, which is one thing I love that you guys did not do. I think that's awesome. I mean, like, you oh, guys... We, oh, we did do vodka, oh, you don't did you? Worry. a little bit, but, like, you didn't go, like, full bore like right, a lot of right. other people. Our, so, our vodka had flavor. Yeah, yeah. Well, my brother-in-law, my, my, my big joke and goal with him was, was, like, okay, so you just paid $300 for this Russian vodka. Because the only difference really with vodka is what water it was cut with. To a certain degree. To a certain degree. So I I like to make fun of him a little bit. Like, so is Russian water that much better than the springs down Texas? Because he's a diehard UT fan too. What would be really fun is to do a vodka tasting with you on different grains, different things with vodka. Yeah. And now that you've been drinking whiskey and you drink it straight, letting you taste vodkas side by side. And it'd be really fun to see your reaction to you're that. You're trying too. to kill my hammer on my brother-in-law here. Yeah, I see what you're doing. A little bit. I'm, now, I'm as far as variation, your your, your flavor wheel is much more uh, narrow when it comes to vodka. Yeah. But there definitely are differences uh, on vodkas depending on production methodology and stuff like well, that. Well, especially if you go to kind of old-school Eastern European. A yeah. lot of times, they only distill it three times Yeah. Uh, when they're doing it. And so... You, so maintain a lot well I mean I've gotten to drink stuff that I know I mean I mean I don't like black licorice Mm -hmm. but yet I can drink Jaeger all day long (laughs) and people think that tastes like black licorice and then you have stuff like Alan Bishop got me drinking absinthe I mean I would have been you don't like licorice and you're drinking absinthe I'll drink I'll drink Alan's absinthe (laughs) Alan's absinthe is really good I mean it's it's amazing yeah yeah and then like the uh Gin. I'm not a big gin person either, but I've learned I just don't like juniper heavy gin. If you get some of these other flavored, like I've got a Japanese one that's like strawberry or raspberry, mm-hmm. it's amazing. And I, I, if you'd have made me bet money on that years ago, I'd have been like, yeah, absolutely not. There's no way yeah. I'm drinking that. Have I told you all the Groot story with Alan? No. Oh, man. You guys will like this. So, me not wanting to sound like a dumbass. Alan sends me stuff from time to time, and it's just like it comes in the typical Alan fashion, Mm -hmm. as you guys can imagine. And I get a bottle that literally looks like a flask of moonshine, basically. And it'll have something written on it. Well, this particular one said Groot. 
Oh, and yeah, I'm you like, did tell me this one. I think I told you. I don't think I told Jonathan. Yeah. So oh, I get this bottle that says Groot. <laughs> Man, uh, I don't want to sound like a dumbass. So I, what's the first thing you do? I Googled it. Yeah. I Googled it. Well, Groot is what the Vikings used to add hops back in the day to their beer before there were hops. And I'm looking at this bottle, right? I mean, it's clear. It looks like moonshine. And I'm like, this is definitely not beer. He did not send me beer. So what am I drinking here? So I did the next worst thing, in my opinion, that I could have done. I smelled it. <laughs> this bottle, when you open it up, literally smells like an, a senior graduation party in Cancun. The worst bottle of mezcal you can find that has this much and the worm in it at the end of the night and you smell that bottle. That's exactly what it smells like. I almost couldn't drink it after smelling it. So I smelled it. I put it down. I was like, I don't know about this. I tell my older brother, I was like, you're going to have to try this with me. Like, we're going to go down this rabbit hole at the same time. We tried it. It's absolutely amazing. (laughs) It's one of the best spirits I've ever drank in my life. And so then I call out, and you know, typical, I'm like, what's up, buddy? You know, and I'm like, hey, man, you got to tell me about this Groot. He's like, Groot? I'm like, yeah, Groot, the shit you sent me. Tell me about it. Like, I Googled it. I know it's what the Vikings use as hops, blah, 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 blah. And I'm trying to go down this rabbit hole with him, and he's like, I was like, but this is not beer. He goes, Yeah. So you remember that cool shit you saw me doing on the farm where I had the stones and I went like all Viking distilling something? He goes, yeah. So I made Groot, so I made Viking beer. But then I was like, well, the Vikings were smart enough to do this. And if you know Alan, like, this is the way Alan's mind works. And it's like amazing to watch this stuff to come together. He's like, well, if the Vikings were smart enough to make beer, what if the Vikings decided to make their own whiskey? So he made Viking light whiskey, basically, out of the Groot, and that's what I was drinking. So if the Vikings made whiskey, that's what Groot is in Alan Bishop world. I mean, and when he sends me the next bottles, I'll have to have you guys over. Like, you'll, you'll have to try this because it's like, it's unreal. And it's like a spirit you've never tasted. Like, how often does that happen with you guys? Because, like... You guys have several lines of things you distill, and you distill for others. You do blends with others. How often does it happen that you guys, like, try something out, and you're just like, wow, i got to figure out a way to play with this more, or i got to find a way to do X, Y, Z with this? Ooh, boy. Pretty regularly, or is this, like, a one in every ten experiments you try? <laughs> this guy, so John, we like to say Jonathan's the gas, and I'm generally the break. Where he wants to, I say, push the envelope on things. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa let's, uh, Jonathan, you got seven experiments we can do this year. Is that where you want to use one of those? Is that what you want to do? Seven full size. Seven, yeah, yeah. Seven, seven full size. We can do small, seven. Small. Seven's the lucky number. Seven's huh? the lucky number. I right? like that. Small batch stuff I get away with all no. the time. So. Okay. Um, I mean, we've done a lot of ridiculous things over the years. Um, Silly things. I mean, we had uh, uh, there's a YouTube channel called Still It. Uh, a guy named Jesse from New Zealand. Okay. It's a home distilling uh, YouTube channel because it's legal to home distill mm-hmm. New Zealand. Uh, he came to Texas. He bet me I couldn't ferment Doritos. <clears throat> 
He bet you you couldn't ferment Doritos. Yep. So Jonathan uh, uh, fermented them and then distilled them. <laughs> spicy Doritos or cool ranch Doritos. Like mostly mostly nacho, nacho cheese. cheese. There's some spicy nacho cheese in there. And then for good measure, you added some uh, beaver nuggets to it from uh, Bucky's. So <laughs> we went all Texas experimenting here. I like this. So weird, crazy, and it tastes like Doritos. It's a spirit that tastes like Doritos, which is very weird. Um, I don't hate it. No, I don't hate <laughs> it either, which is weird to say, like, ah, oh, it's a cheesy spirit, which is like, what? what? But we get a lot of influence from things that people bring for us to taste, and we've got a really good friend by the name of Chris Trevino. He goes by the Liquor Hound on YouTube. Okay. And he... he uh, He's a purveyor of all all things spirit, right? And so yeah. he brings us all sorts of very, very interesting things, him and all his friends. And so uh, there's been some very interesting um, spirits from Mexico that he's brought that were distilled in, like, wooden trees. Bless you. And it's very much like that Groot experience where you smell it and you're like, I don't know if I want to taste this. What, the stink bug mezcal? Uh, well, there's that one. Yeah, uh, sure. That's like Groot, man. I'm telling you, this oh. Groot, if you smell it, I mean... I, that, that is legit. The best description I can give you is Cancun, high school graduation party, the worst bottle, cheapest bottle of mezcal you can find, and there's this much left in it with the worm in it, and it's been sitting out for days. Like, it, it smelled... My brother even was like... And he has a little wider palate than I do, and he was like, are we really going to drink this? And I was like, yeah, man, we're, we're, we're going to go down this road. Like, Alan sent it. We're going to try this. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the coolest things, like, from one of our brethren here in Texas that I, I've had uh, is actually a product called Totem that Real Ale uh, Distilling does. It's really cool. It's uh, he for, literally forges the – so it's they do everything with malt, obviously, because they're with Real, mm -hmm. Real Ale Brewing. But he forges all the botanicals for it, and then he actually hunts a hog, and they actually hang part of the hog – I think – forget which part of the hog, in the still as they're distilling it. It's got, like, dewberries and all sorts of crazy stuff in it. It's like a Pachuga-esque type spirit. Malt spirit. Wow. Mm -hmm. Super cool. I mean, it's a clear spirit as well. Super fun to drink. Um, really different spirit. But So what do y'all think? So one of the bottles I brought here, I think I talked about the Frey Rancho, but I didn't talk about the Todd Leopolds. We mentioned him, but... And maybe you guys know a little more about this than I do. So the specialty thing with this bottle is it's three-chamber whiskey, and it's rye whiskey. He's the only person that I know of. I think he's one of two that are still in operation. I think the other one's a rum. In Caribbean. In the Caribbean. In Barbados, I think. Okay, in Barbados. They have a three-chamber still. But he has the other one, and he spent God knows how much money building another three-chamber distill off of historical documents and did this. And he's got this. I've seen pictures of it. I haven't got to go there yet, but, like, crazy, like, where they're, like, maturating the, like, it's so grains loud and stuff. It's oh. oh, is it? Yeah, because it, it literally thumps inside of it as it's running. It's crazy. I think when I was, last I heard from him, he was talking about when Vendome... They were building it for him, so the, the company that built yeah. it stills here in the US. They were like, we're, we, we can't guarantee this is going to work, even, because of like, the way it's designed. They were like, ah, 
Because they hadn't built one, what, one hadn't been built since, what, like 1920 or something? Yeah, like, like 1920. Like, so yeah. my understanding on the stills, on these three-chamber stills was prior to the war, they were very prominent mm-hmm. all up and down the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Like, there were three-chamber stills everywhere. But for whatever reason, during war times, breaking down these three-chamber stills and using them for wartime efforts was, like, the thing to do. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that is. I don't know what component or what they were distilling or using them for, but it was prominent. Like, all of them disappeared. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, when the wartime ended, they did not come back. Mm-hmm. Nobody went back to Three Chamber. They went to Pot Still and Calm Still. Like, they just went back to the roots mm-hmm. and stayed there. Yeah. He's the first person to bring that back, and... You know, it's, it's funny. I have some buddies that are, like, huge rye guys. They either love this or they absolutely <laughs> hate it. I personally love it, and I get something out of it every time. Like, the price point on it sucks. <laughs> and I know Todd hates that, and he's trying to, like, do it. But, like, I mean, I get it. He went to Vendome and had something made that hasn't been made since the 1920s. And he's the only other person other than somebody in Barbados that's making rum with it. I mean, so you're paying for something extra there, but like, what 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 does that bottle inspire you to do, or what is it like? Kind of like, what does it put out there for you? Like, I'm just curious because you guys are so connoisseurs of all this stuff. It makes me want to, and again, Jonathan, we actually have a couple antique cognac stills that we own that we haven't set up yet because fun fire regulations with direct fire stills but um at some point those guys will get activated and, and get up and running but it's it's playing around again with older like antique stills and playing around with that uh i talked about the armagnac yeah stills. i was gonna say yeah. i like the armagnac still so uh, cool. i love armagnacs that's one of those things i've found in the last like two years that like i really like but they're god they're expensive and the good ones, they're all like 18 plus years, and they're like. Which the sad thing is, over here they're expensive. You go over to France, and. They're, they're can, cheap. Yeah, you can buy a 30 year old Armagnac for like 120 bucks. It's yeah. 30 years old. Yeah, and I mean, it's $400 here. Yeah. It's, the, Armagnac was uh, traditionally produced on a traveling still, so it would have been a still on a cart. Yeah. And it was. It's a direct fire, like, precursor to the coffee still and the. Uh, and the column still. Which is mm-hmm. n- not dissimilar to what the, the, the three-chamber still was doing. Mm-hmm. Was it was meant to increase eff- efficiency. And so conceptually, it's, it's kind of similar from that standpoint. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind getting my hands on one of those guys and uh, seeing, seeing what bourbon tasted like off of. That's fine. i got to take a little pause here and give you some shit. Because my boy Rodney Smith is giving you hell. Oh, He's boy. like, damn, you got Robert out of the oh, house. Yeah, that's true. Well, Jonathan's even tougher to get than at me. Yeah, I was going to say, like, y'all don't know. Like, we had to have, like, a whole rally conversation at, while we are doing the pick. It was like, well, we have the stills firing off at 2 a.m., and we got a batch we're running. But, oh, wait, we have this cousin or somebody that's in town. We're going to leave him, and both of us can come. I'm like, we are booking this. We're booking it right now because I don't know. I mean, I did a lot of research, like, looking back. Both of you on a podcast at the same time? Has that even happened yet? Not, I mean, maybe not in the same room, I don't think. Is yeah, it? sometimes different rooms, but 
like, probably three times maybe that we've been on something maybe, together. Yeah. yeah. So y'all, this, this is special. You you guys got both of them here tonight. Like so. Us hanging out I'm, after hours. Ugh. Yeah, I, hanging out after hours. <laughs> they got up early in the morning. Some of them had to sleep on couches. I won't name names, but you know to like go fire up the stills this morning and stuff like. Mm-hmm. But they're here with y'all, so any of y'all got questions that you want to do, I'm going to make sure Biz is doing his job down there. And, you know, if you guys got some good questions you want to ask them, please hop on, ask them, because this is y'all show, too. Like, you know, ask away. I know, it's so good, right? So We haven't really talked about that one yet. Yeah, talk about this one, because this is the cigar blend. So. And talk about, because... I find this kind of ironic, but also cool. The fact that you're not a big cigar smoker, you actually have a nicotine, like, you know, like, a, I don't know what you'd call that. Like, we're very sensitive to they're nicotine. They're very sensitive to nicotine. So, like, for you to be able to take your spirits and make a cigar blend when you're sensitive to nicotine, what is it that you shoot for? in making a cigar blend and what are the characteristics that you're going for there because that that's literally what i hunt and i'm not gonna lie like out of what i've had so far this and i i hadn't tasted it since we've been back up there that jwb pick is it is fire y'all y'all are gonna (laughs) love this pick any of y'all that got it. it it's amazing it might I mean, it competes with the tri-barrel blends and some of the, like, rare stuff mm-hmm. I have from Iron Root. That cigar blend, too. That is next level. It's awesome. I mean... So, so just to be fair to the, to the audience out here, this one's not out yet. Yeah, it's so, not it's, out. It'll be coming out It's going to be our 10th anniversary. It well. might come out. I'm going to try and buy as much of it as I can before y'all even get the chance because this shit is amazing. So this, this is the mock blend for what we're going to do. So most of these barrels still have you know, a couple of years before they even get pulled. Um, so, But there, there should be quite a bit of this when we do it. Um, so we kind of want to put a lot of it together. Um, but when we're making the cigar blend, uh, now to be fair... We don't smoke cigars very well. <laughs> right. But we do love the flavors. Yeah. And so uh, when we were putting this together, we wanted to kind of support the flavor. So it, this is not meant to taste like you're drinking a cigar. It may no. have some of the flavors that you if see in a cigar. If it tasted like you were drinking a cigar, not, not even a cigar smoker would buy <laughs> yeah. that. Like, that's what I'm saying. That, that is what is so impressive to me is that you don't smoke many cigars but you're able to put out a phenomenal cigar blend because you're still able to pick out notes that a cigar smoker would appreciate complimenting his cigar. Well, I do smoke cigars, so y'all may have to pass that bottle down. Hey, Biz, yeah, yeah, Biz, try this. You for sure need to try this. Your man man Noel said he wants a case ASAP. Well, no, I'm jumping in ahead of you here. I, oh, I've no. already reserved my case, so like two you can get years. the second one in two, two years. years. But it's for me, it's so it's really fun because most cigar blends have some are like some sort of brandy finish. They have, there's Armagnac or Cognac 
Or so do all cigar blends have one of those three components, or what? What Not, is it to y'all that you're setting the standard as that makes a cigar? To be blend? fair, cigar blends for whiskey are relatively new. It's generally was done with cognac. Maybe you saw like a. So the best a, one I've had to date is Starlight. C- Starlight mm-hmm. Huber's mm-hmm. cigar blend is a, better than the Magnus cigar blend to me personally. Magnus is hard to get. Starlight I can find. It's interesting the Brazilian Brazilian. Okay. Um, just say, yeah, it's a Brazilian wood age. Uh, fin- uh, age okay. Right? So it's got a different cast type that's involved with it. This guy is not. This is actually a pure straight bourbon, not aged in any other types of wood or anything like that. It was just casts that Jonathan has slowly curated over the years. Um, so I think the kind of the, the genesis for the whole concept mm-hmm. for us, we always wanted to do a cigar blend, but for us to do one without finishes on it, and so it would be an actual bourbon, I uh, started with barrel 320 for me. Mm-hmm. So barrel 320 had this massive kind of Armagnac vibe, and so, sometimes we get, we get a little bit, of, little bit of brandy-ish qualities in our spirits. It has to do with the higher esters um, that we're using. Uh, sometimes they'll go a little rummy, uh, mm-hmm. some the bourbon. Sometimes they'll go a little bit more Armagnac-y. Um, is that a word? Yeah, sure. Why not? Cool, like it, it is tonight. It is now. Uh, so, but um, so barrel three twenty was a massive Armagnac note. It also had was supported with kind of some leather, something that made you feel like you're sitting in kind of like an old library with some old books around you. And when I tasted that barrel, it just made me say, "God, I wish I had a cigar." Um, and so that was kind of the the genesis point for that. And then we've been kind of curating on it. Whenever I find flavors in other barrels that kind of support that particular barrel, yeah. we've been kind of setting them aside and saying, no, that, that one's for cigar blend in the future. And so right now I think there's... So what, what, what is that flavor? What, what, if you could put a word or words to that, what, what is that to you? Because you're one of the guys that goes back there and tastes all these different barrels... Mm-hmm. And you're doing these blends. What what are those notes you're getting when you when you think cigar blend? In the brandy Besides world, Armagnac, cognac, brandy. Like, what are some of the other for somebody that like really like say they can't put a word to it like Armagnac or cognac or brandy. What what if it's something like? Because I know you guys both like to cook. You guys you're inspired by that too. What what is something you guys would say like you key in on as non cigar smokers that like that kind of throws something out there for you? I, I don't think it's um, strange that you like all of a sudden you like things that have the aniseed, the black licorice note in there. A lot of Armagnac has that note in there, and it's not very much pronounced to where you're going to say, "Oh, that's black that's licorice. a black, black licorice, licorice. Right. Twizzler black yeah. licorice." But it, it's a very kind of it seems like it should be a lighter flavor, but it's actually a very dark flavor. And so it pushes a lot of things to a darker side. But there is a lot of times a little bit of sweetness with it. Mm-hmm. And so I like that particular flavor for supporting a cigar from that standpoint is um, you can, if you have something that's super dry, even if it's really old and if you're like, oh, this is just a really old barrel. Like there's some really old whiskey in this one, which we'll talk about in a second. Okay. Um, that one pairs okay with cigars, but if it's a lot older, a lot drier, it, it doesn't quite balance out with, with tobacco as well. Which is why you're looking at a lot of Armagnac. You get some of the sweetness of the brandy, some of the fruit from but the I just, got a, I just I just poured a little bit of the brandy. 
That goes well, mm. very well, it, too. Should. Yeah, <laughs> very well. So uh, a lot of the stuff in brandy, you get a lot of aniseed flavors in them. So and a lot of that's all kind of grape-based. Beautiful, with sweet it, characteristics. So. so what do you guys... What what do you guys think about the cigars? So like I know you're not a big cigar guys. Well, I love you're this smoking one. the Alfonso. I can smoke that. Neither of you are turning green. No. You're you're you seem to be enjoying it. I definitely have a little bit of head high. I can tell you that right now. Okay. But, uh, how's it How's it going? Like, what are you really enjoying it with? For it's me, like what's what's pulling out the flavor for y'all in that Alfonso? To me, it's 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 maxi the sweetness from the corn. Is really pairing really nicely because you get this kind of beautiful, sweet, oily character that when you breathe in the uh, cigar, it like it holds on to kind of that. I mean, all that kind of leathery, what I consider like tobacco-y, mm-hmm. spicy characteristic of the cigar. Now this is a very light cigar, obviously, but it like holds it on your palate, and you just to me, I taste it better. By having the kind of that, Dave, oily. you owe me a sponsorship yeah. now. Like these guys are going to buy some Alfonsos yeah, for yeah. you. Oh shoot! <laughs> I think it is very much textural too, mm-hmm. and I think you were hitting on that. So a lot of times people say that our whiskey drinks a little bit higher proof and it drinks well there, and it's because it has a lot of that kind of oily texture to it. Yeah. So it doesn't come off as this kind of thing that just kind of hits your tongue, evaporates off, and then dry gives you dry mouth. On the it's good to me. A cigar blend has yeah. to like. Not overwhelm you on the tip of the palate. It has to start getting you on the mid palate, but it absolutely has to have a finish. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't have a finish, your cigar, no matter what, that's me, inexperienced cigar guy, it's going to overwhelm your cigar. So you you can't get past that. So to me, it's got to be something that like, okay, I, I, I get the little bit of flavor on the tip of my tongue. By mid palate, it's firing up. It's kind of expanding, but then that finish with the XL is kind of like, oh, that was really complimentary. And it holds this kind of beautiful sweetness on the back of the palate. So when you breathe in with the cigar, the smoke yeah. comes in and kind of like mixes with that kind of sweeter, you know, that sweeter oak that's sitting on the back mm-hmm. of the palate. I mean, to me, you get some really beautiful stuff on the brandies that we call, uh, in, in the cognac world or Armagnac, they call it Roncio, which mm-hmm. is like this, Roncio is kind of like this, you know, some, sometimes it can go very blue cheesy, but you get a lot of times like this, like, date, and like, sweet, like, plumish, plum, date, that's just this big, sweet, dried fruit Walnut that kind of, yeah, yeah. hangs Walnut. out on your back palate. With all the sweeter characteristics, and kind of like, I don't know, it melds with the smoke, and that's yeah. what I love about it. That's awesome, man! Sorry. Like, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Like, that's that—that's what I try to. I try to figure out what it is that I'm really drawn to with cigar blends because, I mean, I, I smoke like one cigar a day on average, no more than four, typically. I mean, I just came off a trip from Myrtle Beach golfing with buddies from Canada, so... Yeah, four cigars a day was not uncommon, but (laughs) pairing it with something and then, like, opening up their minds to try something new was kind of a challenge, you know? Like, I'll I'll never forget one of the guys... I hope you're listening to this, Keith. He told me, go buy the best version of Canadian whiskey you can find. I said, what's that? I said... He goes, Gibson Rare and Finest. 
I drain poured it. It's one of the only bottles I've ever drain poured. I hate to say this. I am putting that out there. I drain poured it. Granted, I didn't have the 12 or 15 year version he had. But I was like, why wouldn't you go with like, I mean, like Crown Royal, at least like 18 year or something to like say this represents what we're really trying to put out as a spirit. What? It kind of drove me nuts. You look at what the Canadians do, though. I mean, they've got they've got the rise. The, yeah, they, they they have kind of two different real styles of whiskey. They do. They have their tr- like what we would call light whiskey in the United States, which yeah. is very highly distilled. It's fairly neutral. When you get some super high age versions of those, they can be really beautiful and really awesome. But at a younger age, they tend to be a little tinny. They tend to be a little bit very light overall. Again, it's more ethanol-y. Again, essentially like, kind of like barrel-aging vodka at some level. Yeah. When you get to the younger guys. But then they also do what they call their flavoring whiskeys, which is like their, it, what we would do with like traditional American ryes. And they're really beautiful. I mean, obviously, Whistle Pig made a mountain of money off of buying the flavoring rye whiskeys out of Canada. They're like a, most of like the really famous Whistle Pigs are Canadian rye. Yeah. And those, some of those are absolutely beautiful. So do, do you guys... So this is a theory of mine. I'll throw it out here. I'm probably going to kick myself in the ass for saying this, but I think rye is the next thing that's going to go, like, super allocated. I think rye... Oh, it's already there. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's there, but, like, there's just not enough rye being made anymore, and people have steered away from rye because they thought it was hot, bold, spicy. And not all rye is hot, bold, and spicy. There's some... Um, yeah, it's what Todd's doing with rye in the three-chamber. What Frey Ranch is doing with rye. I, I mean, like, there's so many things being done with rye. I feel like you guys are missing out. If you're not buying ryes right now... I feel like that's the next little thing, like where we went. Because I, I feel like Maybe we, we went from the right. <laughs> yeah, we went from like craft beer. Craft beer was the thing from like 2013 to like 2019. It started dying out because all the big name brands came in and bought these breweries up and said, "Hey, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna sell your beer now," and then. The bourbon and spirit industry, to me, kind of came in and said, well, this is kind of failing, and we're not selling as much spirits now, so we're going to go back to craft cocktails. And you've seen this craft cocktail boom from, like, the, uh, let's say, 2017 to 2021. And that's kind of been the thing. I personally think the next big thing is going to be all this stuff with rye. I feel like people are bringing back heirloom corns and stuff like that, but there's only a few places making really top-notch rye, and everybody's fighting to get this really good rye. I feel like rye, I mean, maybe you guys disagree, but uh, I'd love to hear your opinions on it of what rye is doing moving down the road. Um, Rye, I mean, I can tell you just, uh, we just, uh, it's going to be hitting stores, Sometime in the next week or two uh, is actually the St. Sally that we do. That's actually our, our first rye. It is MGP seven-year-old rye blended with our uh, kind of three- and four-year-old pot still rye that we do. Which is So it's super high rye with a little bit like a 65% rye Okay. Um, that we aged in um, 
Tokai. Tokai Kass, which is a Hungarian uh, noble rot wine. It's kind of like Sauternes, essentially. But, and that was our first kind of foray into releasing any rye, but I can tell you there's all, there's a bunch of really fun rye being aged right now. Um, it's coming, and that people have been working on it for about a decade now as far as uh, I think the, th- the thought and the knowledge of rye is coming. I mean, High West made their name off of these super old, really fun rides that no one cared about, and that's they—they yeah, they still had that. They—I feel like they only tapped into the people that really liked high-peated scotches, because like a lot of their stuff, like the the Boo Rye, mm-hmm. my brother-in-law brought me one of those back, and like I was so excited, and he was like, "I only got this one bottle." But he's like, "If you want it, you can just have the rest of this bottle." And I was like, "Man, it was kind of disappointing." And some of them like really Sorry. go into this like the it's really peated. Mid midwinters is I mean yeah, but those are so hard to get. That's why I I employ my audience to like go try craft distillers rise. Like it's coming. People are working on it. You guys are like yeah. you you're you're not disputing what I'm saying here, no. and you're I'm, saying. I've, Rise are in the progress of like coming down the pipeline, and I, I, I feel like there's gonna be a lot more allocated rye coming down the road. Like, I mean, so you get it Thomas, while you can. Thomas H. Handy, I mean, you can yeah. look at there's there's already a number of like highly allocated rye, more of that's coming for, for a long time. There was only a handful of rye producers, as you were saying earlier. Yeah, it's but, like bottle and bond almost. And what that, what that did is that really narrowed the, the profile of rye down where there was only a few so uh, now that you have all the craft stillers that are producing they're using different varietals of rye so there's a lot of different differentiation going yeah. on um, in the rye world so if you weren't a rye fan 10 years ago it's a whole new game now yeah you, you're stepping into like yeah uh, your new whole generation of rye yeah like what and, guys were experimenting on 10 years ago was what you're drinking right now what they've been experimenting on for the last 10 years is rye and it's about to hit the market and it's going to be it's going to be something y'all need to look out for i'm just that's my own personal take on this as a spirits drinker somebody that really enjoys spirits i mean one of my personal holy grails that i've gotten a fortunate taste just a couple of times over the last six years or so was the um uh the booker's rye Oh, Booker's Rise. It's killer. Oh. It's crazy. And it's delicious. And I, I can tell you that, like, that that kicked the, uh, the I guess, the, the pants off of a lot of a lot of distillers. Like, hey, we need to really start looking at rye and start looking at what we can do. And that's, I mean, I, I can only talk uh, Jonathan into doing it every so often because rye is the biggest pain in the butt to make. One of the seven. Tell me, you have like two out of the seven at least are rye based. There's there's a couple ryes aging the warehouse. All right, yeah. all right, all right. I'm trying there's, to throw something out there for y'all. There, there's a, there's a couple back there. I, it's about every other year Jonathan will actually make it because he forgets how much he hated making it. That's how long it takes him to. Why why is rye such a pain in the ass? Rye as a grain uh, processing wise is a lot more difficult. Corn's easy. I love corn mash bills. It's like a 100% corn mash bill. You're in, you're out. There's nothing sticky. You're 
Because you haven't talked about like oats or anything weird like that. Like Alan, I feel like has perfected adding oats, mm -hmm. and we've got some oats is old school. And that's, it's old school. Yeah, it's so like Irish so, poutine, man. Well, yeah. yeah, all the way back to there too. Mm -hmm. uh, but even um, I think the traditional moonshine mash bill in our region, up, yeah. up by Denison, included oats, and oats we we used some early on. Just to see what would happen. We had like three barrels that had oats in them, yeah. And I loved them, but they, they have a I little bit different the whiskey flavor. Which for so. you guys tonight, I should have done that. I actually have some some newer stuff that I laid down with some oats I in got there. A couple bottles of that, right. about Good a year deal. ago. So, all right. So I know I'm about to get biz over here. Give me the timestamp over here. So there's something we do on every one of my shows. Like, is, I hope this hasn't felt like your guys' typical interview. Because I don't want it to be an interview. Like, if y'all want to, like, get stats and, you know, basic interview shit, go watch or go to their website at ironrootdistillery.com. Go watch some of the old podcasts. That's not what this is about. Hopefully y'all got some, like, really good knowledge from this. But there is something I do at the end of every show. You guys can go, and we'll, we'll start. Who wants to go first before I even say what we're going to do? I'll do it. Why not? You're going to do yeah, it? I'll go All first. Right. So, you can go wherever you want with this. And nobody has said the F word in the first five minutes of the show. So, this might be, like, one of the highest rated shows. Like, might be the first time in, like, all I, of my podcasts. I feel like I've let Alan down right Yeah, now. <laughs> yeah. Alan, just for you, brother. Mm -hmm. I mean, we already put the picture up earlier. But we do a segment called Give Us Your Two Cents. Give Us Your Two Cents can be literally about anything. It could be something that's weighing on you. It could be something you felt like you've never had a platform to say it on. Oh, it Lord. could be, I mean, really, it, it, maybe it's something you were inspired to say because of the show. Or it could just be like, hey, I just want I just want to say this right now. Like, give us your two cents and you Hot give takes. us your two cents about whatever you want to give us your two cents about. No idea. It's a good thing you're going first. Oh Lord. Um again, I'll say it. I'm a homer. Uh when it comes to Texas whiskey, Texas whiskey is a very young industry in general. I think the best Texas whiskeys are yet to be here. I think they are coming. I and think he is on the board of directors, no. you guys. Not anymore. Not anymore. Oh, uh, not I'm anymore. retired now. I'm retired. Uh, I'm retired. No, I, I honestly think that you started to see we're a couple generations now, what I consider in on Texas whiskey as far as experimentation, playing around with, understanding the weather. I think you're about to start seeing another level of Texas whiskey starting from coming. the creative process I'll, I'll tell you the the most recent set of barrels that we've tasted through uh, are my favorite barrels that we've ever produced that this next set um, blown away with what's what's coming out this year like if you tasted our whiskey in the past and you're like yeah iron root's not my thing get ready because we've got some just monster whiskeys coming and I'm tasted some things from other distillers around the state i can say the exact same thing like 
it's about to get real crazy and really fun around here. So, so what he said from that, and I want to add to this because I'm not, you know, I'm not born and raised in Texas. Mm-hmm. I claim Texas is home because I've lived here since '96. Mm-hmm. There, a lot of Texas whiskeys don't do a lot for me. They, they have this very distinct note. I think you are about to see the. From what he just said, I think you're about to see the turn of the horizon on here. And people are figuring out how to do this right in Texas. Whether you liked them in the past or you don't like them now, you need to give them a try again and try some. And I will in even the, do that with someone. next 12 to 24 months, you need to be trying some, some of the crazy Texas whiskeys coming. And I don't, I don't think that's just solely on Texas. I think that's in cr- a lot of craft whiskey in general. I think you're seeing a starting to become a, the craft whiskey move. It's becoming mature, and I think that you're going to start seeing a different level of craft whiskey. Uh, to me, one of the most beautiful things in the whiskey world right now is regionalization. You're starting to see beautiful things coming out of Florida, Washington State. Uh, I, with some of the single malts from up there, uh, Westward's put out some killer stuff. Well, it's going to lead into mine. Yeah. And, and uh, before you go into yours, I want to throw this out there, and I want to like I'm going to try and throw you a curveball here because I, I feel oh, like okay. it's due. I feel like you have reached master distiller, and I know <laughs> Alan. Alan would hate this as much as you're probably hating me right now for saying this, but. And all due respect, I feel like you have reached a master distiller level in Texas. And with knowing what's come on the horizon, knowing you have admittedly come on here and said, like, hey, we, we came out here, we did this thing. It didn't work out, like, right out the gate. We, even if people loved it, we still felt like there was improvement to be made. You're kind of coming into your age of you're really hitting that sweet spot of what you've been trying to do. Like you, you're coming into a point in time where stuff you've had sitting in the warehouse is coming to age and you're really excited to release it. You have other new projects that are coming in and you're kind of like, man, I thought that was good, but this is great. And you're... And you're kind of evolving in that. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, I want you to reconsider what you're going to put out as your two cents. What are your two cents on Texas distilling right now that you want to throw out there of like where y'all are at right now and what is coming? I think there's a couple things coming. Uh, cool. I think Rise of Hot Tech, I think that's going to be fantastic. Brandy is going to be a big thing. American single malt is going to be a big thing. But I think the biggest thing is you're going to see a shift in the U.S. in in totality. Um, that where it's going to be, we we've all been all about the master distiller yeah. in the U.S. Yeah, everybody I, wants that title. I think blenders are going to just like they are in Europe. I think those are eventually going to supersede everything, and I think you're going to see blend, the ability to blend is going to be something that that's going to kind of come to its own fruition. Uh, soon right on and let's give your mom a shout out too because like if we could have had her on here too i felt that that would have really been pulling it to get you guys and your mom on here 
We might have to do another episode where we do that. I want to see you smoke a cigar. I don't. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Challenge accepted. Mm. I will work on that. But like, let's let's do that. Like, what? Because your mom brings a lot of that into the process of like trying to do that. Like, so what? 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 What do you guys want to say about that? Because like, I feel like she adds a crucial component to that. I experienced it there when we were doing the barrel pick of her being involved and kind of like, hey, let's try this. Let's do this. She, she's the heart of the whole whole operation. I'll, for I'll sure. say, because initially the original idea was just Jonathan and I, and that's the way we started for the first couple weeks. It didn't work. It, it, and I don't think <laughs> we would have survived. I don't think... Jonathan and I would have we would have killed each other probably. Um, Mom honestly held this whole thing together. She's what made Jonathan and I actually work together because we're two very very different people. Um, Drastically on, on different on a lot of different. But y'all mess well. We do, I mean, it, it's yin I and think yang. My, my, I think yeah. about my two brothers and like yeah, what you guys do together is cool. I've think, worked with my brother before and it's hard. Mom has the magical ability. Again, when we you look at the, the yin and yang, there's a little white and the black, little black yeah. and the white. And I think she helps us see, because like, obviously there's a little bit of each other in each other, but we're very different at the end of the day. She helps us see those parts of ourselves in each other, which is why we are able to work together, why we're able to do things, and why we're able to, you know, why we were able to continue going and continue pushing and doing kind of the crazy things we were able to do. Um, There's a reason they call her the mother of Texas whiskey. Yeah. yeah. No, so. I get it. I get it. And I've met her. I've had the pleasure of knowing her pretty well. She's a force of nature, man. She's, she's awesome. And it's she's a, awesome. Don't, don't cross her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely would not want to do that. Yeah. But, guys, I know i got to wrap this up. Thank you so much for coming out here, spending the time with us. Thanks, man. And honestly, anytime you want it, just let us know. We'll... We'll be here. Yeah, we'll do this again. Next time we'll bring mom in. We'll have mom here for the next one. I like it. But thank you. I Thanks, really sir. appreciate both of you. Pleasure, sir. And you guys, please go up. And I posted this before. I'll post it again later tonight. If you guys can help out with this NF stuff, it's awesome, man. I mean, like, this really is a great cause. What Noel and Jamie are doing and trying to bring attention to this is amazing. You know, their son, Jason, he's an awesome, awesome kid. You know, I, I love him to death. And if you guys can help with this NF research in any way, shape, or form, whether you got the bottle, you can donate, please help these guys out. Like, this is a really, truly great cause. And I want to thank all of y'all for joining us tonight. And... We'll see you next time. Peace.